Yeah, yeah, you sound good, probably. Right? Way up in the sky, like a bird so high. Oh, I might just try. I wish that I could fly. Way up in the sky, like a bird so high. Oh, I might just try. Oh, I might just try. Everybody, RC Alienation version 2.0. I am Dan. This is episode 188. The gang is all here this week. Yay! Jesse, sweet. What is up, guys? Justin and Nick. Hi. What's up, dudes? And super macho man from the Northeast who's not afraid of spiders. From the Northeast. Snakes. Snakes. You're from the Northeast. Yeah, you're right, actually. I know I'm right. (laughs) Wow. All you Northeasterners talk big like that. Oh, come on, man. Mm-hmm. Anything cool happening this week? Jesse, big life no. change, huh? No, 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 I haven't been up to nothing. Nothing you know? new going just on with you? Slacking. Just going to slide right past everything? Mm-hmm. Basically, really I've just been blowing you guys off for three weeks. Yeah? Essentially. Yeah, that's huh. kind of what it comes down to. That's what it so, feels like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, skipping a show yeah. because you have to get married. Married. Yeah. What is all that about? I mean, no, I mean, it's in, not like this of, is the first time you're going to get married. Yeah, first and last. <laughs> hey, first I don't appreciate. Wait, yeah, I was going to say there, there's a sensitive audience there's, here. There's guilty parties <laughs> in the room. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, instead of saying what have you been up to this week, it should more be like what have you been up to this month? Month, month, right? It's been quite a while. So I, it's time, it was, time to catch up, man. Let us know. It is. I was going through, you know, starting to write down some notes for the show this week going, wait, now, what episode am I taking notes for? Actually, I had to wait till you did the intro so I could fill in the blank on which show I was coming in, <laughs> coming back in on. So, no, kind of as you mentioned, it's been a, a pretty busy uh, last couple of weeks for me personally. Uh, so kind of a little bit, start off with a little bit of non-heli related stuff, just kind of fill everyone in um, who hasn't been, you know, following Facebook or I don't know, listen to the last couple of shows. I know you guys have talked about it. So a couple of weeks ago, I closed and bought my first house and got everything moved in, uh, hit it super hard for the weekend. And that was the same weekend as the Othello fun fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, basically, that's the main reason I wasn't able to come down to the Othello fun fly. Just super crazy weekend. Didn't have a chance to pack anything all week long. And it just... You know, I was kind of sitting there Friday afternoon going, do I go? Do I not go? I haven't even started putting stuff together. The nitro's not programmed yet. I still got a bunch of stuff to move in. So, you know, one of those kind of decisions and ended up decided to kind of kick back for the weekend a little bit and just keep moving stuff in and plugging away at home. And, and you made Nick a very sad panda. Yes, you did. I mean, Nick. <laughs> He was a sad panda. You didn't listen to the last show? The last? No, I have not listened. I listened to the Othello show. I have not listened to this previous week's show. Nick missed you. I did. That's good. I'm, and I, I'm sure Kim may have missed Kayla coming along. Yep. So, yeah, it's indeed. It's it's all right. There'll, there'll be more fun flies. So, and I honestly, I was super bummed. 
uh, to miss it. It, it just did. There's something that just doesn't feel right sitting at home going, man, all my heli buddies are probably sitting around a little <laughs> fire drinking a beer right now, just BSing. Mm-hmm. And so definitely felt out of place um, and hate missing an event, but due to the circumstances, um, it, it did kind of work out well that I stayed home and we did get a bunch done last weekend. So everything's good from that perspective, not so much from the heli perspective. So fast forward one week from the Othello fun fly. And that brings me to my wedding day. Once again, I think a pretty valid excuse mm. or <laughs> it was an afternoon wedding. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was an afternoon wedding. Well, I think the biggest thing was at a you know family coming into town. Actually, had a few buddies staying at my place uh, Friday, so we had the the rehearsal run through on Friday evening. Huge dinner, um, shindig, kind of out at the venue where we were having the wedding, and then after all of that, uh, had a few buddies staying at my place, and so hanging out here. And I don't even think we got back till you know, ten or so after the rehearsal. So just a lot. <laughs> crazy weekend i do have to say though that huge thanks to kayla the wedding went absolutely perfect though thankfully someone's a planner went very well absolutely (laughs) yeah for not having any sort of like wedding planner coordinator she took it all upon herself um i think it went great and the wedding turned out awesome so and we were able to kind of kick back relax on the wedding day and enjoy and have fun so so enough about non-heli related stuff it's been a few weeks since I've been able to report flying, but if like three weeks ago, I actually did get some flying in. <laughs> I don't think there's been a single flight since it's one then. time on this it's, one day. I got yeah, two flights in, and if I wouldn't have re- like wrote it down, I probably wouldn't even remember that I got out there and flew. Has it but really been three weeks, dude? It is. I mean, yeah, the weekend before Othello. Damn. Oh, the, Othel- the week before the week well, before I just the wedding, saw a and then this last post week of you saying that you finally got the V control programmed for your N seven. Yeah, so for the for the nitro. So okay, so three weeks ago, that was the first time actually getting to fly the V control. So went ahead, purchased the transmitter, and then I put the receiver that came with the transmitter on the chrono. So that was the first heli that I was converting over to use with the V control. And so that like three Saturdays ago was the first time of using the V control transmitter. And I got to say just initially the integration and just for me, the biggest thing is not having the sinking laptop at the field and just being able to land the helicopter, come down, program whatever setting I want, you know, set it to be adjusted with a dial a switch bank switching, just whatever I want to do to manipulate the settings in the V bar, be able to do that on the fly and in as much detail as you can go into as uh, as you could on the computer. So awesome there. And you know, I haven't had a ton of flights on it, but I can say I'm just loving the transmitter so far. So then the, the following week after that was the week that the Neo got released, the V-Bar Neo. Mm-hmm. And so I went ahead and purchased a V-Bar Neo thinking, okay, how cool is this? Now we got the receiver built right into the V-Bar. And I can pull the mini V bar off of the Kronos and also the receiver that I had for the V control. And then that receiver got transferred over to the N7. So that's kind of where that change came and why I was still finally finishing up some programming on the N7 
was because I didn't initially switch it over right when I got the transmitter. Um, so I had to wait just a little bit until I got the Neo, which that was kind of in the works the whole time. So I didn't go ahead and order a bunch of receivers right off the bat. I was just going to wait till the Neo came and then slowly kind of disperse the receivers on the other helis. So went through the Neo programming on the Kronos and that's completely ready to go. Um, I have not had a chance to fly the V-Control Neo setup um, on the Kronos. And then, as you saw on the Facebook post, the N7 is now completely um, programmed and ready to go. So through the V-Control receiver on there, didn't have to change much. You just plug it into the full-size V-Bar, pull the S-Bus receiver off for Futaba, and uh, bind everything up, and you're good to go. I do want to point out a couple cool things that... I kind of found as a surprise about the Neo. And the first thing is how they really integrated the computer software for the V-Bar Neo and the V-Control. So this thing literally, you, you plug the, and for those of you that don't know, for the V-Control, you plug it into your computer. Uh, you know, you have the software running. It automatically detects the transmitter, checks online for updates, updates the clock, and it kind of runs all these automatic checks. And then you can also go over to the, V-Controller, the V-Stabby site, and add apps to your V-Control. Well, it works the exact same way with the V-Bar Neo, and it even uses the same exact software. So you don't even need to put another piece of software on your computer to connect your V-Bar Neo up, get it updated, and then you go ahead and you add um, the Pro features and then the Bailout features. You add them just like you would apps on your V-Control. So you go over to V-Stabby, and you manage your... V-Bar Neo, exactly the same as your V-Control. So I just thought that was pretty cool. They're, they're definitely trying to streamline everything, and it seems like everything's kind of becoming more routine and a lot easier, because trying to go through all the registration and getting everything signed up the first time can be a little bit painful, and so it's just kind of nice to see everything converging to a common path, and I think once you get the hang of it, it makes it really, really straightforward to uh, use all those uh, items together. So... That was nice to find. Other than that, there, you know, I have not been doing a ton of heli stuff, and that actually brings me to a pretty sore subject. Um, this one's gonna hurt. The simulator. Oh! <laughs> Justin finally won something. I'll be back. Oh, it is with much regret, much much regret that I have to admit that. I am officially out of the competition. Oh, shit. How long have I you guess... been out? So it's, it's actually been like a week and a half that I've been out. But I didn't, you know, I didn't want to post it on Facebook or let you guys know. I figured I wanted to do it. Wait until, you know, got back on the air, back on the show, let everyone know at the same time. How cool is it that we're going to give Justin $99 in pennies? No, you're going to give me $100 in pennies. Well, you know that... If it fits, it ships in flat rate. So the weight's not a concern. Oh. We'll just ship him loose. $100 in pennies. Loose You know pennies. what? I am fine with that, dude. I will roll up to my bank without a problem. Drop <laughs> down a freaking large priority flat rate box filled with pennies. <laughs> $100 worth of pennies. Yeah. Right I won. <laughs> no, it's it's been a little bit. It just... And actually, it was one of those, just went to bed, woke up the next morning, completely spaced. Just, you know, yeah. saw the transmitter sitting there the next day and went, oh, my 
God. Crap. So, huh. yeah, it just, you know, didn't even cross my mind. So, missed a few days and just like that, knocked out of the competition. So, Justin, are you still like actively in or have you sent? Oh, no, dude. I'm still, I'm going. I like, I am every hitting day. this shit hard every day. Just usually, like his crack pipe. Usually between 30 and 45 <laughs> minutes. Nice. It's uh nice. every night at about 11 o'clock. I will sit down. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, I, I've really found that because I, I still have been simming, even though I, I did miss a few days with the wedding and then a week and a half ago when I forgot that one day. But I've, I've really found that just getting back in that routine where it's like, for me, it ends up being 10 o'clock. That is kind of my 10 to 1030 is my sim time. And so you just see that 10 o'clock and automatically your brain goes sim time you just mm-hmm. so just getting that routine back is it's just habit lot. now it's it's kind of so, just like that's what you do I'm, yeah exactly i'm hoping fingers crossed that the sim time will help me retain some of my flying ability since it has been three freaking weeks <laughs> so <laughs> that's a big that's a big chunk of downtime for you especially man i think that's probably my longest stretch since i've started the hobby there may have been another three week stretch about a year and a half ago in the fall. But I definitely don't think it was longer. So I'm pretty sure this is my longest stretch without flying. So we'll see. Weather's looking awesome this weekend. And as I already mentioned, the helis are ready to go. So hoping to get out this weekend and do some flying, enjoy the nice weather. I can't, can't believe it. It looks like shorts and t-shirt all weekend. Sweet dude. Well, welcome back. Yeah. Congratulations. And congrats. Yeah. Thank you. So who wants to go next? Nick, I can't top that. You can't top that, Nick? No. You don't have any ranting or anything to bitch about? No, no complaining. No? I got a little bit of complaining. Why don't you complain? I think Dan should go. (laughs) I do too. So, we talked last week about the Skookum, and I gave it a good faith effort. Mm -hmm. I did. Could not get it to connect. And on top of that, while it's plugged into the USB, if you move the USB port, like the plug that goes into the Skookum at all, it'll reset the controller. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that like a feature of your particular unit or is that just a feature? Never noticed it before. (laughs) Uh, So it wouldn't connect to the firmware first and foremost. And then secondly, when I was checking to make sure, well, is everything plugged in? I just grabbed it and kind of jiggled it and the whole thing shut off and then turned right back on. Jiggle it again. Shut off. Turned right back on. Uh Oh, that doesn't sound good, does it? No. Uh, especially if that happens when you're flying. <laughs> so So I, this is with the USB cord when yeah. that's plugged in? Oh, yeah. well, just don't plug the USB cord in. Well, how are you going to tune it, Jess? Oh, that's right. My bad. I just, you know, I already got yeah. used to other oh, systems. Oh, you just assumed everybody in the world owned a V-Control? Is that, that's just, is that what you said? My bad. He's trying to get into the V-Control digs. That one was a little, uh, little abrupt. I, it, 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 it felt okay. No, yeah. it's good logic. What she said, kind of <laughs> oh. felt a little shameless, is what it felt. 
No, it was just a I bad, definitely bad think there's going to be a V V control echo in here from here on out, Dan. I know it yep. sucks. Sucks bad. So anyway, uh, so obviously I didn't get any flying in on the Skookum. Nitro didn't fly. And on top of that, Adelthello, one of my power supplies, went out. So I'm dealing with 12-volt charging. Oh, that is fantastic, Ooh. isn't it? It is. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. That's the new word. Spectacular. So, you know, we go out. We go out. I'm there flying with uh, one of my buddies. The name you guys probably haven't heard in a while, Fred. Throwback. Oh, wow. Quite some time ago. I thought yeah, last wow. time you talked about him, I thought he quit. I kind of did, too. He He's not bringing any helis. So maybe he did. I mean, he brought a couple planks with him. He actually did bring a 600, a line 600 uh, E, but uh, I, I think he's trying to sell it. He kind of hit me up, asked me if I wanted to buy it. So anyway, we, um, I get a fly, I go in, you know, I go in with the charge pack. I got the two packs now, actually three, but I'm only using two OptiPower packs, stick packs. And, uh, get two flights in right away. And then I go to charge. <laughs> I'm like, this sucks, right? Waiting for those batteries to charge. Uh, didn't even get the second one, didn't even get it charged once completely through and it just out of nowhere rain just, just came like crazy. So it was uh -oh. a kind of a mad dash to get everything packed up and I would bitch about the rain, but then I would feel like a douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause Good there, idea. Are some, yeah. there are some people that really have a reason to bitch about the rain. I mean, rain sucks, but it is what it is. We need the moisture. But so it just kind of, I got rained out. I got, I got two flights in and got rained out. Didn't even really get to do any, I messed around with a little bit of tuning on the icon, but uh, just what I had in the banks, trying to decide what I liked there, but uh, didn't, didn't get a chance to, to do anything further. And uh, Sunday, same thing. Pretty much just rained all the time. So. Yeah, at least you got some stick time in. My HK stuff showed up today, but then I couldn't pick it up because the uh, post office is closed by the time I get home. And I'm looking to, um, it's got that crimper. So I'm looking to kind of redo all the servos and get that, those BECs put into the E700 in the, in the Forza. Heck yeah. Nice. Did not, did not drop any cash down on a new helicopter this week. Oh, dude, you're disappointing me. I well, I felt certain you were going to come on and be like, four's a number two. Incoming. No, I, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. ended up buying some servos from some schmuck. You guys may have heard of him. <laughs> and then I ended up buying dude, some... Nick, uh, you, did you sell him something else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are pawning so much shit off on Dan. <laughs> I just put it up for sale. Yeah, he, he doesn't, like contact me first no I, everything that all. i bought from him except for the conversation uh for the e700 which i actually brought that up actually no you did post that didn't you i know you might have just said you were going to sell it but basically i just see that he's posted it on the buy and buy and sell and i just call him yeah so i'm just collecting all kinds of goodies from i'd Nick. like to make an offer on your servos <laughs> sir <laughs> <laughs> so I got those, and then uh, uh, we ordered some power supplies. Nick's gonna hook me up with yeah. uh, 
getting those set up so I can get back to big time charging. It should be here. Should be here any day. You em- yeah. end up getting a good price. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Are those still readily available? Because I haven't looked oh, at yeah. them for so long. We, well, they are. We got them for twenty five a piece, didn't we? Yep. Oh, nice. Okay. I got three of them. Not bad. Yeah, it's. I think it'll be just fine. I am going to have to get another charger though, because um, my chargers won't handle the voltage. What? The three hundred six. You can't do three, can you? Don't you have to get a... No, dude. You can run 36 volts on a 306B. Yeah, you can run 36. Oh, it's 40. Is, what, is that what it is? It's Yeah. Because didn't, didn't, Nick, you have to put some kind of potentiometer on one of yours? Oh, um, no. They go up, like, right to... The alarm will go off at, like, 37. Yeah, so, so when you when you give him your... So, the yeah. power supplies just go in and turn the pots down on the voltage control yep dan that was on my old power supplies those bigger ones that i they don't have potentiometers on them to adjust the voltage oh these ones do yes they do built in well that's sweet because i was i mean i kind of would like to get a new charger just to kind of update everything but something out of the fact is those chargers are working fine for me and, those uh, are like, dude, those are some workhorse chargers. But I'm still rocking two three oh sixes. So I think I'll just keep it keep it that way. And uh that's you know, I, I did not finish the E seven hundred. Damn it. Oh wow. Dude, I've been killing myself at work. So it's been getting home at nine o'clock every night again. Kind of in uh, a push. Gotta get some stuff done. Uh, as soon as that's done, I can settle. I can relax. I haven't even. I don't even have time to fly at work anymore. That's not good, man. That's how serious it's getting. It's like, but it's only a passing I, thing, right? I mean, now here's the thing, dude. I don't even have time to fly multi rotors at my multi rotor job. Wow. Yeah. You don't have time to walk out into the field, set it down, and press a button, and then walk away, dude. Not sure if good thing or bad thing. Here's the here's the thing. I can't because I'm designing it. I'm seeing I'm drawing it up, I'm camming it, I'm machining it, and I'm assembling it. And that leaves very little very little time for flying. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, that'll pass, hopefully. <laughs> Need to get Need to get some heli flying in during yes, work. Yes, you do. Just tell them. Like, Damn it. That's it. Well, do that or just start designing parts that take 45 minutes to machine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what am I going to do for 45 minutes? There you go. <laughs> I think I'll go fly. So that uh, that's all I can think of, guys. Not a, not a whole lot of stick time. A couple flights on the weekend, and that's about it. I'm definitely a little apprehensive about the weather this weekend it's of course it's been beautiful all week but i just checked just checked the weather and um same scenarios last weekend it, it was uh most or mostly cloudy slight chance of rain but it just came down both days pretty much saying the same thing this weekend so i'm guessing it's going to rain again any sim time at all Omer. Uh, a little bit of sim time in, at night yeah nice not, not every day two or three days this week uh, I got my sim hooked up to my big TV, which makes it nice. Oh yeah, that is very cool. nice. Yeah. yeah, it's 
That's kind of, that's one of the benefits of living alone, right? You can do shit like that. So. <laughs> why 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 is the simulator on the big TV? There I me. was, so simming naked. That's what Cheetos, Cheetos, drinking beer. <laughs> I said, "You gonna fly this sim naked? Like how? Free? In a bean bag? I don't recommend that though. In a bean bag? <laughs> yeah." They stick. They stick. The they Cheetos really do? Sticky. No, the beanbag in your <laughs> The Cheetos do, crack. too. <laughs> the, the Cheetos, Cheetos will, yeah. too, if you're not careful. Got to have yeah, a if you're not. <laughs> little pack of baby wipes next to you. It really helps. <laughs> talcum powder. I love baby wipes. Towelette. <laughs> moist towelette and talcum powder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to throw the talcum powder down before you get in the beanbag. <laughs> Oh, so that wraps my week up, guys. Pretty boring. Just when you thought that the guys at Soco Heli Tools had pushed setup methodology to the absolute state of the art, they come out with yet another innovation. In combination with their Soco Helical, which fits all sizes and all brands of helis, they've recently announced the Soco Heli Tools mobile app. This app greatly simplifies your setup by completely eliminating the need for a level working surface or main shaft. This new mobile software will do everything that your original SoCo kit did, but with the added benefit of all measurements, calculations, and directions in one easy-to-use app. When you're ready to kick it up a notch with your heli setup, visit the SoCo team at www.soco-heli-tools.com and check it out. Soko Heli Tools, next generation setup. Yeah, go. Uh, it is. It. I've been having some fun, man. Uh, so let's see. I did buy. Uh, I after you know after I had the whole revelation with the V control and and getting that extra response out of the collective. That was kind of a big eye opener for me because it's like, wow. Um, well, if just changing that made a difference that I could like blatantly notice when flying, maybe I, you know, and that was kind of a latency deal slash just the way that V control and V bar talk to each other. So then I kind of started looking into speeds and torques of my servos. And in the Trioblin, I had some really good workhorse. Or no, excuse me. It was not in the Trioblin. It was in the other one. I have had some, and I've had these for a long time, the MKS 665, 669s. Oh, yeah. Great servos. Great set of servos. I mean, they've been, uh, man, I had those in my 700E. Uh, So Hmm. definitely not a complaint with them. At all. They've been really good workhorses. They were inexpensive. You know, they're 100 bucks a servo. Uh, all around really good. But when you start comparing those to the newer servos that are out, they are, uh, they are definitely slower and do not have quite the torque. So then it kind of got me like, hmm, well, I wonder... I wonder if it's a big enough difference that I would notice. Hmm. 
So I went ahead and called up Bert and was like, dude, it's time to try some servos. So I've got a set of the BK brushless servos. Very nice. These things are crazy fast on the speed. They're super, super torquey. They definitely win in the bling factor. That's for sure. But I did learn something. I learned that the combination, and I'm going to explain here in a minute, the combination of those servos and a mini V-bar, not empatico. Uh-uh. So what it is uh, after, and this took a little while to figure out. I mean, I still have my mini V-bar, you know, like my little kind of servo bus Y adapter thing that I've always done. And so I just swapped them out, plugged it right back in, did some bench testing with it, and I could definitely get the V-bar to shut down. Uh, start, you know, I used uh, Eagle Tree, uh, which has a, actually the Eagle Tree, for those of you who don't have like an oscilloscope, that thing has got a really fast. Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't it go up to a hundred hertz? Uh, I'm not sure on a hundred. It depends on the telemetry you use, but it certainly, I think, can go up to twenty to fifty hertz. But yeah, dude, I that s- little thing is badass. It really it is. is. So I hooked that in line in between and started looking, and I'm like, okay, well, I definitely see. Like, these servos, they are power hungry, period. End of story. But, you know, okay, in the other hand, you look at the specs on them, it's like, uh, uh, all right, they're crazy fast, super torquey. Unexpected? No, but definitely something you need to be aware of. But it still wasn't, and this was with the receiver pack. So I had plenty of available power. I wasn't, you know, yeah, okay, the voltage dropping... I wasn't seeing the voltage drop at the battery or anything. But, you know, then there is this whole discussion of, like, noise. Okay. Uh, all all DC motors are going to make noise. How much do they make is just going to kind of depend on the servo. Now, the, the cool part is that most of the fly barless systems that are made now, brain... Uh, uh, the Neo, Spartan, I mean, all the all the big players, they are kind of set up to deal with this on the input busing, on the bars. And what I don't want people to be like, oh, oh yeah, I knew it, those BKs. No, 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 here's the deal. The V-bars, and I don't know, I've heard that this might even be a problem on the full size. What you got to remember, these flybarless systems, those the actual hardware on those have been out for a long time with the same exact design. There was nothing out when when those were built and designed that even had half the speed and the torque that we're dealing with now when it comes to servos. So I just kind of ran into that that perfect storm. It was, okay, these servos are very demanding as far as power goes. Now, you do get something out of that. I mean, you get tremendous speed and torque out of it. But, okay, the combination of the older hardware with the mini V-bar was just like, no way, not going to happen. 
So I did a little bit of research and I came up with basically I can solve this one of two ways and or what I concluded is that I wanted to solve it both ways. I have been limping along just putting off getting swapping all my uh, V-bars out for Neos. That's going to be something that I wanted to do anyway. Flying a full, uh, flying a mini on a 700 class heli is has to be done very carefully. Uh, again, with certain servos work, certain servos are not going to work with it. And you really kind of have to be careful when you do it, set it up, check it out, make sure that everything's okay. So switching over to the Neo would solve this problem. Like period, end of story, plug them all in. Okay, everything's good. Another thing is that I had been talking about going to a BEC as well. Well, a um, little more research in the Western Robotics, like the G2, Dan, the one you got, um, using that servo bus rail on there. It's got additional capacitance inside there, and it really helps filter the noise out. So I'm like, ah, ooh, hmm. Which one do I want to do? I mean, if it's going to solve it with either one to get me back flying, then it doesn't really matter. But I had kind of already had my heart set on, um, the you know, putting a BEC in it. So I went ahead and pulled the trigger on the Western Robotics, got it installed. I did wire it up. Servos go into the BEC. Um, I did not bring all individual servo leads back out of it up to the receiver. Actually, for three of the cyclic servos, I just brought signal lines up there. It's kind of cool the way the pins are laid out. Like, instead of doing three connectors right next to each other, kind of parallel to each other, I just took one connector, turned it uh, perpendicular, and plugged it in across all three signal wires. Ran those up and then um, split them out at the top. Huh. Yeah, so you don't, it just saves on wiring. I don't need, I mean, I'm bringing power all the way up through the, you know, through the tail servo one. There's no load on the V-bar. I mean, I'm actually, the V-bar itself, the satellite uh, power for my, uh, like my opti or the opto cable for the Scorpion, and I think that's it. Because I even have my fan that I have on the speed controller plugged in down at the BEC. So there's just, there's no load on it left. So the cool part is, happy to report that that worked like an absolute charm. The way I've been testing it, I've been taking the pitch pump in the V-bar and cranking it up to like 50. <laughs> just, wow! I mean, hammering on the sticks as fast as you can go. And I have... No problems with the Western Robotics. Same exact setup, same exact everything. So it's kind of cool to know. I'm glad that I ran into this issue because I learned a lot. A lot of times we just say, well, it flies, so it must be okay. But there can be a lot of other things going on, you know, that you don't see, you don't really notice or know about, you know, and it's, you can't just blame one product. It's a, sometimes it's a combination of this and this one, but used in any other configuration, each of them on their own are perfectly fine. So, 
Yeah. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad to be finally at that point where it's like, yep, okay, I'm going to move on from my mini V's and get Neos on the 700, should I say? I mean, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to fly it. I think it's going to be really cool. That BEC, it's big, it's burly. There's no question there, but it's a very, very nice piece of hardware. It's sexy. It is. It's very. And, and you know what I did? Fit? Um, I have it on the inside of the frame in the back, right behind the battery. Ah, okay. So the servo, I had to run, let's say I had to run one extension, I think, down the side from one of the servos, from the, um, let's see, from the front right servo on the Goblin. It wasn't just quite long enough to go back down the frame rail very far and reach it. So yeah, it just sticks there. Run my power wires. Uh, another cool trick that I was uh, I was talking with some other people, and they were saying like, "Oh, it's just such a hassle." You know, like that's the downfall with a 12s BEC is not being able to plug it in. You know what I mean? Or when you do to get it to power up, you have to plug it in. Well, you know, don't forget, guys. I actually take mine and I plug. Like, I have an EC3 in line with mine for the battery feed wires for the BEC. So I just unplug it and plug in a 3S pack. That's how I do all my bench Well, let's talk about this for a second, because I think there's interesting territory here. Why is it such a pain in the ass to... Okay, so you wired across 12S. Plug in the flight pack. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that for, like, safety concern, you know, people coming from receiver packs, and even I enjoy that about a receiver pack. I never have to worry about accidentally bumping switches on the bench during setup or if I'm tinkering around with it or leveling my swash or something, you know, where you're spinning the heli all over the place and, and moving it all around. Um, I'm not a big – I hate taking blades off. I hate backing motor – backing motors off, unplugging motor wires. I, I hate doing all that. So if I can put it into a setup mode, you know, that it's impossible for it to spool up. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I just, I feel like throttle hold or throttle lock is, you know, unless you're banging around with a bunch of stuff, bumping the switches at least when I do things, is low probability. Well, yeah, but we saw it at Othello. I mean, yeah, we saw it at Othello. Yeah, but that's that's different. When you're moving around and putting stuff down and juggling around a small table, I'm talking about for setup, right? You're going to sit down and update a setting on your fly barless system. Throttle hold. Why not just eliminate that? opportunity at all cost you can yeah, I'm yeah. Kind of a, but i i just i, I mean, guess it, i'm saying i don't think it's that big of a deal but I, I if if people do then you know you're heli you can do what you got to do so let me ask you this uh why is do you get diminishing efficiency if you just wired into success no Okay. So why didn't you just do that? Because I can't. 
Because I'm running bullet connectors. <sighs> That's the whole kicker. Would you have run them success? Because that's what I'm planning on doing. Oh, I would have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, again, I prefer, like if I can add one extra bit of safety and have it not cost me anything or no negative side effects whatsoever, that's how I would absolutely do it. But with the bullets, it kind of is what it is. And it's, you know, with the V control, it's not a big deal. Cause like Justin said, we, you know, we've got throttle hold and throttle lock and the way that the yeah. V controls designed, my God, it won't let you do anything if you're not in throttle hold. Yeah. It is constantly yeah, jetty's the same way. I've got like screen. two or three layers of protection. Yeah. But you know, a lot of other systems aren't like that. So I always prefer to wire a BEC into 6S if you can. So, yeah, I'm going to get some flights on that tomorrow, and here comes my confession. Justin, you can laugh. Are you ready? I'm ready. My, my pull the three blade off, you know, get the two 700s, the two blades all identical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a weak, weak man. <laughs> Why? What happened? Uh, three-bladed head and tail happened again. It just, like, jumped on there. I was Dude, putting the servos on, come on, and it was like, <laughs> it just. I went to go grab the two-bladed head, and all of a sudden, I had a three-bladed head in my hand. Why did He's you do that? Worry. No, seriously. Like, what? Because I can't help it. It's freaking awesome. It's fun to fly. I can't help it. So you basically just threw that whole thing out the window. Yes, I don't I mean, care. in the span of less than a week, we went from having a minimum of 30 days of two-bladed awesomeness to <laughs> five and a half days of... I No, it was awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. I just... I don't know. I'm just going to have to buck up and, like, buy a bunch of spare parts so that if I kill the two-blade, you know, like practicing during lunch or whatever, that I can come home and fly it and get it back in the air. Why don't you That's take the my... spare parts money and put it towards a second three blade? You know, I will. That that's that is the end mm -hmm. goal. It's just it, it sounds so simple, but it's also expensive. That's a I mean, that's a lot of then I have two three blade helis and no spare parts. <laughs> <laughs> sell something dude I don't have anything left to sell I'd know about it otherwise yeah, Dan, Dan would have already have bought it Dan would have bought it yeah so I, I can't I can't not it's just too much fun I miss it um, they're, they're two very different animals I enjoy different aspects of each of them but I really miss Miss being able to flat. Now, having said that, I got out last weekend and had a hoot. Flew just the two blade, and I mean, just banging out the flights, trying all sorts of different setups, you know, but still out there to fly and progress. And I got to tell you, I, I mean, I had fun, and I found out a secret. This is a very big secret. If you put headphones on and fly, you are instantly twice as good. You instantly huh. get twice as scared because you instantly fly twice as fast. 
It's awesome. Even when you're listening to Britney Spears? No, that's when I get my pop and lock going mm-hmm. down low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Hit me, baby, Hit one me more baby, time. Baby, one more time. Yeah, that I drive it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. I had the headphones going, and it was just. I mean, it was awesome. Just completely cranking them. You can't. You definitely can't hear your collective management, and. Judging from the fact that I overamped my Castle 120, says that maybe, maybe I had it up just a little loud where I couldn't hear quite oh, enough. Dude. <laughs> 225 amps. <laughs> Things on animal. to a 160. You know, <laughs> I don't know. So here's the scoop. I put up a that post on Facebook about it. It did not overheat, but I got, I mean, I was, I had the head speed up. I was trying 2100 at 13 or 13 and a half instead of 2014 degrees. And I, I mean, I agree. I was flying it. I was having a hoot and I had the current sensing on insensitive. And I've heard a lot of people, including Nick Maxwell, say, here's the deal. You keep them cool. Don't worry about the spikes. Just make sure it stays cool. So I turned it off. And I did the next flight. And, I mean, flying normal, I was nowhere near that. I was in the 180 range, you know, on peaks. Wait, 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 wait. What? So you actually had to tote your computer to the field? No, my tablet. So, still, dude. I know. I don't know how you. I don't know how you managed. For one setting, Ugh. I felt. I, I so felt archaic. Archaic, yes. Just like a caveman. I can't believe that. That is. That is ridiculous. That, that won't happen again, though. That pisses me. That just pisses me off. Okay. Okay. So. So what? So what I the turned hell it happened? off. Well, I just, I, I mean, I turned it off and everything seems fine. So I'm not, I'm was still kind of was on it? The, was it an overcurrent? Oh yeah, definitely overcurrent. Because on insensitive, it shuts off at 220 amps and I hit 226. Okay. Um, I do not think that I'll probably end up flying at that head speed. Uh, I still really like the way like what 2000. What were you doing? That got you to 226 amps. Awesome. That's what I was no, doing. No, I was like doing seriously, awesome. dude. What <laughs> what maneuver were you in when it shut down? Um, it was like a it, it was an aileron rolling loop. I was doing like a let's see, how would I explain it? So you know how if you do a, an aileron loop, a big one, yes. I was doing those in the globe fashion. Huh. Hmm. And you hit 226 amps. Well, I kind of got a little greedy at the top and started correcting the wrong way, and then I dug in in the other way. (laughs) Okay, okay. So it wasn't an actual maneuver. It was an error. It was an error. Okay, well, then you're good with a 120. Well, and I know that at that head speed, I don't have near as much margin margin for error. So, 
I think what I'm going to try is, I mean, just for now, I kind of want to, now I'm intrigued by it, do a little experiment. I'm going, I put my fan back on, you know, I, I use just a little scorpion fan and screw it right into the top of the 120. So I'm going to go back to using those because it has been a lot hotter here lately. I mean, a lot hotter and it was warm out that day. So I'll use those and then just go out, hammer on it and just kind of see how it does. I mean, that day it cost me a set of skids and one blade because it, it shut down and it, I mean, full on shut down. And when you're that deep into, into the corners and you got headphones on, you don't hear it right away. It goes real bad, real fast. <laughs> I think you're fine with the 120. I don't even think you need to put a fan on. I mean, check the temperature, but those no, castles it, it can handle some significant current, dude. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I feel like, now that I agree. I mean, that I agree. I'm not worried about the current spikes on the castle, but I also know that I've had it very warm. You know, like at the end of that flight, it was up 180, 190. Oh, uh, yeah, that's would, getting toasty. Yeah, but that was also back-to-back-to-back flying. I mean, back-to-back flying on a Castle 120 under a goblin canopy. Mm-hmm. That's a bad remedy. So we'll put a fan on it, and I'm pretty sure that I've done that. And I mean, I well, I've know that I've done it before, and it's like an instant thirty to forty degree drop. It's tremendous the temperature difference. So we'll do that and then monitor for a little while. Sweet dude, because I want I would nice. like to be able to stay with the one twenty because they're light. They're small. That's, I mean, that's the only reason. They're, they're light cheap. and they work. They're cheap, they're cheap. They're light. They work amazing with the V bar gov. So hmm. we shall see. Maybe the 120s will be okay for the two blade, but the the three blade will have to get a 160. Now that I might see. We're going to find out. That's it, though. I'm ready. Got a couple little final setup things and get out and do a little flying tomorrow. Brought to you by the legendary Burt Kammerer. BK Servo is proud to present to you its new line of cordless micro cyclic and mini tail servos. When you don't want to compromise on performance, but are looking for an affordable high voltage servo to keep your 360 class heli locked in no matter what you throw at it, look no further than the BK DS3001 HV cyclic servos. Designed specifically to handle the rigors of today's 360 to 380 millimeter models, the BK DS3001 HV High Torque Cyclic Micro Servos will keep you connected. And for amazing tail performance, look no further than the BK DS5005 HV Mini High Speed Tail Servo, which will hold through the worst that you can throw at it. BK Servo. Coming to a 360-class heli near you.
I guess that leaves Justin. That leaves me. I actually had a pretty good week. I, uh, well, started out going to going to Jesse's wedding, as we already mentioned earlier in the show. And other than it being cool to, you know, to be there and support Jesse and Kayla, I actually left with a heli, which was was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nick and I have been talking back and we were giving away. Hellies. Yeah, why? Aww. It's yeah, dude. I was like the 38th person in line at the barbecue buffet. Totally and missed that drawing. I picked up one of the, the rolls and there was a heli. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Nick and I have been talking back and forth about, uh, you know, different helis that both of us have and what we're interested in. And, you know, he's got the Goblin 500 and the 570. Uh, as I mentioned last week, my goblin speed is probably not going to get as much action anymore because I can only compete in two of the three speed classes. And I want that to be with the TDR and the Diablo. And so it's going to, it's going to basically be a trainer and I may even just reprogram it to be a 700 class 3d heli. Well, you know, talking back and forth. Nick was interested in maybe messing around with the speed eventually. I've I've been liking his 500 ever since I got to fly it in Bellingham and then again at Othello. So he's like, dude, just follow me back to my place. I'll give you the 500, you know, pop the V-bar off it really quick. You can take it home, play around with it a little bit, and then we'll swap it out. And maybe next time I'll take the Goblin Speed. It's like, eh, okay. So <laughs> twist my yeah, that's about, if, yeah, that so, was about if it. If I got to, I will. And that's what we did. Uh, you know, ran back to Nick's place, spent a few minutes pulling the V bar off, uh, talking about a couple of different features, uh, because I've never owned a Goblin 500 before. So just, you know, taking a look at it and then brought it home. And I, I was actually really excited about this one. So I got home and immediately went into the garage and spent about 30 minutes getting it all set up and programmed and ready to go. Um, Maidened it the next day and flew it on Monday. Uh, I like that helicopter a lot, dude. Now, here's the deal. And Dan, you can appreciate this. That used to be yours, right? Uh Then it went to Nick. I get it. And... This this is this really is a workhorse model because oh, yeah. the paint is faded. It's not a fluorescent yellow. It's not even really a bright yellow. It's like an Easter egg yellow. Okay, pastel. pastel that's right. The yeah. blacks aren't Just really on the black canopy. anymore. They're kind of grayish, which makes it worse because that's only on the canopy. Because mm-hmm. when I when I crashed it. I didn't have the canopy on, so you have this bright boom. Oh, the boom looks great. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the juxtaposition of a clean, nice new boom and a busted-ass canopy. It's just priceless. <laughs> Which were, I actually had a guy comment on that today at, when I was flying at lunch. What's wrong with your canopy? It's like, it's old, Yeah, what's dude. wrong with your face? Yeah, lay, lay off the canopy. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with your face? I can buy a new canopy. You can't fix that ugly mug. That's mugging. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got it all set up and uh, got it flying. And I I think it's great. It's uh, Now, unfortunately, I'm running the Talon 90. 
Nick had been running it on VBAR governor. I'm running the, the Bavarian demon, so I don't have internal governor yet or external governor, I guess. Uh, running the governor on the Talon. And, I, and the first couple of flights I put in, I'm like, this governor is horrible. So I kept bumping the gain up. And I was flying initially at a baseball field. So I was trying to keep it close and slow sort of in a box because I didn't want to go out of bounds, you know, of the baseball field. And I, I had gotten the gain up to about 20. Well, actually, I got it up to 35 on the talent. And for those of you guys who know Castle, that's a lot of gain. Call Nick up. I'm like, you know what, dude? I'm actually pretty impressed. Like the governor's holding. It's uh, it's not bad. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's not bad. No tail problems. Well, I went out later this week and actually opened it up a bit, uh, flying it at lunch, uh, 60 acres park. And when I got out of the mode of flying it in that tight little box and actually flew it bigger. Yeah, the, the governor, it sucks again, as always. And at 35, I was getting tail issues. I just didn't notice it because of how confined I was flying at the baseball field. But you know what? It is what it is. It's not the end of the world. And I'm at the point with my flying nowadays where while I prefer not to have to deal with it, I can compensate for it. And I just adjust my, you know, adjust my sticks a little bit uh, for my maneuvers and get through it. Uh, I don't know how long I'm going to have that one. We'll see. But for the time being, I'm really enjoying it. Even with only two packs, it's just a killer heli to fly at lunch. And it is a fun. I like, I like that size. Yeah. It's, and, and then the next, you know, the next thing I think of is like, well, what would it be like with a three blade head swinging three, four sixty fives? That would be freaking sweet, but we'll have to see. Goblin 500 was a success. I'm going to keep flying that until Nick pries it from my dead hands. Probably. We'll see. <laughs> Probably soon. Probably sooner rather than later, but that's okay. I'll get some flights in on it. Um, 380, I got some flying in on that one today, actually, at lunch. I got three out of my four packs flown because towards the end of the third pack, I started hearing a clicking sound. Uh, brought it down and what's interesting is when I spin the head it clicks and I, I'm thinking it's the it's the um, the auto hub I haven't pulled it apart yet but I can't think of anything else that it would be uh, it's on the main shaft it's not in the motor area it's not a belt so I gotta pull that guy apart and see what what the problem is I was actually a little bummed because with as nice as the weather is this weekend, I'm hoping I can get back out. But maybe it's not going to be as big of a deal to fix. Uh, didn't get any speed flying in this week, but that's okay because I've been simming the hell out of some speed flying as well as my 3D and pilot proficiency program. After about a week of messing with the sim, I think I've figured out how to make speed flying trainable on the sim. And it takes some getting used to, and there's some adjustment of settings, uh, but I'm using the Banshee on the next sim, and I, you know, basically tuned the model uh, until it started to behave more like a speed heli, and I've been practicing my, uh, the flow on entry into and exit out of the run so that I don't do the stall turns anymore. 
I'm actually doing the reverse half Cuban eights and a couple of other variations. And that was nice because today I was able to uh, bring that to the little helis and mess around with it uh, uh, in real life and see how it goes. It's still a little uncomfortable, but um, I think I can see myself getting to it pretty soon here on the actual TDR and, and Diablo. Uh, this week was a sell and buy week. I am happy and or sad to announce that I've made the decision to get rid of my 250 class FPV racer. So that sold after about eight hours of uh, being up on the forums. It's just a little angel just got its wings. Somewhere. Yeah, you know, dude, it, it is fun. I like it. But there's not really much of a racing scene that I've been able to find local to me. I know that it's huge down in Portland, like Kenny G and Al, those guys down there, Keith freaking Morris, they are into it heavy duty. I haven't found anything major up here. And so it gets kind of boring after just doing the normal FPV thing without a purpose. So that that went away. No big deal. Uh, and I bought a bunch of crap, picked up, uh, a new GPS two, So now I don't have to swap them between speed helis. There's going to be one permanently installed on the Diablo and permanently installed on the TDR. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I got an entire set of bearings or uh, close to an entire set of bearings for the TDR just as spares from RC bearings, uh, because when I pulled it apart last weekend to replace the main gear uh, that I stripped at Othello, what I found was that my main shaft bearings were toast. I mean, probably some of the worst bearings I've ever felt. And so I had to get some uh, some new bearings there. I figured why not pick up some other stuff that are typical bearings, you know, thrust bearings, the main and tail grip bearings, that sort of a thing. And then I also got a bunch of, well, uh, some functional, some bling for the Jetty transmitter. Uh, I picked up a couple of new switches, an extra uh, two-position long switch. I also picked up, they offer a um, a lockable detent switch. And so if you, if you think about it, it looks like a long switch, but it has a sort of like a shield over the the shaft of the switch that you have to pull up and twist uh, to unlock it in position and then flip it to the next you know to the other side I'm actually going to install that and use that as a throttle lock switch for all of my models there you go that nice. way there's no bumping there's no nothing it's not going to come unlocked unless you unlock it physically I also, um, I picked up a momentary push button switch. Why? I'm not sure. Kind of impulse, but it looked cool. Feel like I can find something to do with it. (laughs) So we're going to give that a try. Justin now has a switch fetish for his radio. Oh, dude, there are so many different switches. So, yeah, and and they're not expensive and they're so easy to install. I figured, screw it. Just I'm going to start stockpiling. You never know when you think of a new thing to do or a new type of switch to use. So screw it. 
Uh, I also picked up, what else did I get for the Jetty? I got a couple of anodized red switch covers to kind of make it look cool. There's those switches again. Yep, more switches. Yep, mm-hmm. right. Um, I got some, oh, oh, yes. I bought three J-Logs. Wow. And three telemetry expanders for the Jetty because each receiver has one telemetry port. And then you can buy this teeny tiny little thing with basically uh, four additional servo ports on it. And then that expands your your telemetry capability to four uh, sensors on that receiver. So now I'm going to run the J-Log on all the Cosmics uh, for current and uh, pack consumption and so on and so forth, uh, as well as the GPS twos on the speed heli. So I'm excited about that one. Uh, then I made an order with Jan Henselit uh, to get some spares for the TDR, and I decided I'd buy another speed canopy. This one's kind of irrational. The exact same white one that I have right now with the stickers on it. But you know what? I thought to myself, wait a minute. I got eight weeks to Urcha. I want a painted canopy, but I don't want to give them the canopy that I've got because I need it to fly. And I kind of like it with the stickers. So I'm going to buy another canopy and send that off to get painted while (laughs) I use the one that I've got stickered up right now. There you go. Who are you going to paint it? Who who is going to paint it? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. Sick and insane canopy are overbooked, and they—I don't think they're taking orders. Dude, still, there, there's a lot of people that are pissed about that. But, oh yeah. yeah, I mean the, well, well, yeah. Not only can you not place orders, but like the turnaround time has been. Oh yeah, dude. I, would call I it, mean, I. Unacceptable. I talked to Oat late last year. Who He's the guy that does, I think he's at Insane. I can never keep them, uh, you know, figured out. But he was telling me that when I first got it late last year, the, the turnaround time was going to be somewhere in the 10 to 12 week range. And that's yeah, when see, I was like, okay, strange. screw that crap, dude. I will fly it white with stickers on it. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not that proud that I'm going to sit there and wait four months to get a damn canopy. But um, my friend and BD team manager, Danny Melnick, gets all his canopies done at a local place in southern Florida. Uh, The guy's name is Oversprayer. That's like his artist name. And he does Mm -hmm. cars and motorcycles and RC models, helmets, that sort of a thing. He does some really good work. So I think I'm going to give that guy a call and see what kind of turnaround time he can he can get. I I don't know that I have much else. I think that's pretty much it. Weekend weather is going to be killer. Not sure if I'm going to be able to get out, but we will see. You done? I think, yeah. Are you sure? You don't sound real convincing. Um, that you're- yeah. Not at all, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, I won the sim competition, as we already pointed out. So please send the pennies. I'm ready. Pennies in I need to buy some shit again. More stuff. Hmm. What could you possibly need to buy? What else? More switches? Yeah, maybe. 
Jeez. Penny's coming, man. Penny's from heaven. All right, dude. Well, I guess that wraps it up, huh? That's it for me. All right. Do we have any news this week? Uh, I got a couple small items. Having a trailer full of new helis isn't anything to complain about, but we're still talking about the same old dumb thumbing, triple sow cowing, Charlie Chaplin autoing pilot behind the sticks. Now, I'm not exactly easy on my helis, and when I need parts, I need them fast. This is where Lower Heli comes to the rescue. With a great variety of my personal favorite heli parts and batteries, no matter how bad the crash, I'm sure to be able to get right back in the air to do it all over again. Fly lower at www.lowerheli.com. Uh, there's a video, you know, we had we had put up um, a little while ago. Mike Martin did the brain, the MSH MSH brain setup video. Well, he did another one with the micro brain, and he did it on a Blade 180 CFX. So I am going to go ahead and put a link to that up because I have not seen one of those yet. Although, uh, at Othello, Kenny was flying one that had the micro brain on it and was completely tearing it up. So seems to be pretty cool. But if you're curious about the setup, here is a link to that. And past that, you know, the only thing that I I don't remember if we if we had talked about Justin, do you remember did we ever do the final price on the Kyle Stacy edition? I don't think we did. I'm not sure. It's been- but it's worth mentioning again because it blew my mind so much. I was uh I couldn't believe it. Yeah, so you can go ahead and pre-order that now, and it's uh twelve ninety for the kit, which, considering it's three bladed head and three bladed tail, and it's a, I mean, it is a full carbon kit. I'm really surprised. Yeah, I'm not sure how they, they did that. Maybe I'm losing track of what the actual, like normal kit prices are. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they did it either, but it's cool because now finally if you want to do the three blade head, you don't have to go buy and then sell and have an extra parts and this and that. Not to mention I still think it's probably the sweetest looking color scheme. What is it? Period. Again? It's the black and the kind of the neon yellow. Like the carbon. Oh, yeah. But it's, you know, the skids are black, and it has regular skids. I, I like the black the anodized. Tube. I don't like the black oh. and yellow canopy crap. Oh, I love it. It's and every, Yeah, everything's anodized and black. Yeah, out. so it looks like a, a yellow black carbon edition 700 two-blade is 1190 100 bucks so more. So 100 bucks more, and you get the three-blade. Three blade head three blade and head, tail. Head and tail. Yeah. And tail. And let's face it, the black anodized doesn't cost them much, if anything, more. Okay. Huh. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Pretty I, I, I'm glad that they're doing that. 
I'm wondering if next up there will be an offering of a 500 and a 570 in kit form with a three blade. And I'm still waiting for my 383 blade head, by the way, SAV. So get her done. (laughs) (laughs) Hint, hint. I think that's, that's all that I have for news. Anybody else got any news? Negative. Negatory. I don't have any news. I don't either. Well, I guess we'll uh, run right into our topic du jour. Then, how does that sound? Works yes. for me. Do it. Back to the basics. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do this time, guys. We're gonna take, uh, you know, some of the basic thoughts and concerns that a new person into the hobby. We're gonna kind of break everything down to a very basic level. And kind of discuss that. First, we're going to talk about the first question most everybody asks is, what size heli should we get? And I'm a firm believer that your first heli should be a 700. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Why not? All right, next. Big money. No whammies. I don't know. I, I started on a 50. Well, 600, I guess we're calling them these days. Um. But I, I got to tell you, I enjoyed, uh, I probably got more enjoyment out of that Align 500, that size, as a, yeah. as a starting there you go. Yeah. It's just so much less intimidating. You know, I, I was stupid and bought a big gasser when I didn't know how to fly, and that thing was just, made me want to shit my pants every time it spooled up. <laughs> I was just happy to give it in, get it into a three-foot hover, and... and uh, Glad it wasn't come attack me. It was just amazingly huge, but you know, eight hundred and twenty millimeter blades. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> you know, uh, fourteen hundred RPM, all in. Yeah, but uh, probably not a good place to start. And it was a Bergen to boot. And I don't know if you guys know anything about the Bergens. They're not necessarily first heli <laughs> purchases. They're they're a modeler. They are modelers. Heli, yeah. <laughs> Got to use the Dremel tool here and there. You got to, you know, build your torque tube, right? How long has this been since you guys built a torque tube? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, thank mm. you. So to, does that mean that you're you're backing off from your original statement of the 700? I, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, if you can afford it, I think it's a great place to start. I mean, don't you guys think? Yeah. You know, I, over the years, I've gone back and forth on that sort of philosophy. And as a beginner, a lot of people have probably heard more than once buy the biggest heli you can afford to crash. Yeah. And I think that's in my mind, I think that's still fair, except that, as you pointed out, Dan, the fear factor definitely comes into it. And maybe you can afford to go out there and drive in a 700 every day or every weekend and i'm sure there are people that can but i I really think that the fear thing it trumps all of that because if you get up there like you did and you spool that thing up every time and you are deathly afraid of your model you are not going to get anywhere yeah you will not progress and and maybe there are people out there that also can get in front of a 700 and not be afraid Now, uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure what type of person that is, 
that is, is so ignorant of the risk that they can stand in front of a 700 for the first time ever in model helicopters and not pee at least a little. <laughs> but perhaps there that's, is someone like that. I I, I still... A little reckless, maybe. Yeah, yeah I, I still... I think that the smaller sized helis make a lot of sense. You know, you you start out with a micro just to wet the whistle, just to see whether that even, you know, does it even make sense? And I'm not talking like a, a collective pitch necessarily. Uh, I still think that the MSRX is a great little heli that's stable, that's robust. Get it up it off the ground and see if you can even hover it and move it around. And it's going to go away quickly, right? Because if you do like it and you're going to stick with it, then you're instantly off to buy some more new stuff. Once you get and there, I feel like the the 360 to 500 class is the way to go. And that's the beauty of the blade business model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they'll get you in 20 grand into helicopters before you finally get up to a 500, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> you can own everyone. <laughs> I, you know, one thing that... I think is uh food for thought is starting with a 700. If you have a local guy that knows helicopters, buddy boxing, that can get you a long ways real fast. Oh yep. yeah. Yeah. That can have a huge impact on what size model. And it, you know, and you could start easily with a 700 under those circumstances. Uh, probably wouldn't do it. If I were starting over at, uh, being that I started, completely by myself. We just didn't have the options uh, back then. It was um, it was a 50 size or 600 size or, a, you know, the Align 500 was coming out um, or the 450, and I just wasn't interested in those little ones. And um, it was pretty... I can think back to those first few months. I never came home without a crashed helicopter for three months. Mm-hmm. Every time, crash. Um, I just sometimes wonder how I got through it, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I just, I wasn't going to let it beat me. So uh, I flew I flew the uh, 50 and enjoyed the shit out of it. I think, uh, I think the circumstances are, the circumstances and budget are, are the two deciding factors here. I mean, if you have a, a field with someone that, you know, can kind of be like your instructor and you're going to buddy box, then man, that, that 550 size, in my opinion, is where it's at. Because yeah. you're, you're not going to outgrow that. 550s are incredible. I just love them. Um, but again, that's if you have a, a field, other people with help to help buddy box, safety, that sort of a thing. If it's, you know, if you're kind of on the fence about it and you're just eh, not sure, you don't have anywhere close to fly like at all, then, you know, hey, a a micro can, it can scratch an itch. It'll get you flying. Um, But kind of all around, I never, before I would have said that I thought that 500 was where it was at. I mean, just 500. Yep. No question. That's like the perfect, it's big enough to fly big, but small enough that it's not horrendous to crash. But I got to tell you, the 360 class has just changed a lot in the way that it flies. So I'm going to say 
360 size for the first one, but then immediately skip everything in between for the next one and go straight to a 550. Once you get comfortable with that. See, but nowadays there's not much in between. Yeah. Not a lot of offering. I, I agree with you yeah, 100%, Nick, that the 360 class is the way to go. Uh, it's still with the 360s that are out there today, it's still going to be more expensive to crash than you would think. Well, I, I mm, yeah, I'm going to stand by that. It's still going to be more expensive to crash than uh, than I think it, it used to be years ago. Uh, you know, the you got the chase, which is cheap parts, but parts challenged. You got the Align, and their business model is definitely pushed towards expensive parts. The Goblin 380, as much as I love that thing, holy crap, is it expensive to fix. Um, so the, the money definitely plays into it on that. Yeah, and I mean, going along with your 360 argument, you're right. We used to say, oh, it's got to be the 500. The 500 is a ticket. Like you're saying, you could fly it in a medium-sized field. You can fly it big. It's big enough to kind of give you that pucker factor, and it has a good, you know, a decent amount of power to where you can really throw it around. But we've also mentioned in the last how many shows that the 360 flies like the 500. So... Yeah. I don't really think we're changing much. It's still the same. Lo- the same logic is still there. It's yeah. just with the recent advancements in flyboys technology and these new airframes coming out. Now all of a sudden, that 360 class really fills that same exact. You know, it's serving that same exact purpose. It's still got those same features as that 500 has. Yeah. When I yeah. when I first started, one bit of advice that I heard from a lot of folks, you don't really hear it anymore <laughs> as much, but it was. Uh, Buy a sim and fly that for two or three months before you even get a helicopter. Oh Dude, man! Yes. Absolutely. Hands there's this down. one guy that. There's this one guy that gave me that advice. Worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I know that guy. But I can. Yeah. Th- there is one I think. Counterpoint to that is, uh, although that is good advice, I think though that with these uh, micros that are flying so well these days, that kind of that kind of can replace that to an extent. Well, I, I don't think so, man, because when you're a beginner, you sit down with, you know, even on the sim and you're struggling to keep the damn thing in one spot. And yeah, but see, look, the sim. Now I've said this before and I think my, I might have a different opinion, but until I actually got a helicopter in the air and hovered it around, the sim did, very little for me. I hated the sim because of that two-dimensional. It, I just couldn't relate to it. I hear you. Well. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to transfer over to the real world from from that perspective. But what I'm saying is, you're a fresh beginner, right? You've never even seen an RC helicopter before. You gotta you gotta get the thumbs and the brain hooked up. Right. And and at least thinking along the same lines. And if you don't do that, then I think people are going to suffer what you went through, which was you never came home from the field without having crashed something. 
that that's painful. I mean, you did make it through it and you're a lucky one because I've seen countless people on the forums who have not made it through it. And they just said, yeah, I'm out. I'm done, uncle. But nowadays, the Sims are so good. And especially, you know, going back to the comment about if you've got people at your field that can help you, not just on the model. How about on the sim? I mean, I think all of us had to figure it out on our own. But if I was put back in those shoes five or six years ago and someone who knew what they were talking about came and said, look, let me help you get set up on the sim. This is what a real helicopter flies like. Trust me. That would have been huge, don't you think? That would have been huge. Absolutely. It, it would have been, you know, and, and thinking back now, there were there's a lot of options today that that weren't available. And uh after hearing Nick's argument, I kinda I kinda think he nailed it with the five fifty. If the five fifty would have been available when I started flying, I think that would have been great. That, yeah, because that's like the rap that's like a raptor thirty. Right. And that, and that, man, <laughs> everyone learned on a Raptor 30 back in the day. And I think there's, I think there is, there's merit to that size. It's, it's incredible. But, you know, like for the sim thing, I could not, it, you know, I could not just say, oh, okay, I'll go get a sim and I'll just fly it for three months and then I'll start flying. I'd probably fly it for a couple of weeks and be bored and then end up losing interest. I think you have to have, something to be able to kind of scratch that itch in the meantime while you're learning on the sim. And I do think there can be some fun, like for a micro in that aspect, you can go into the backyard in the grass, fly it around, you know, and just up, up, crashed it. Oh, well, crashed it and and give you a little bit of, I agree with that adrenaline. I think that makes sense. A little bit of a break. That does. Yeah. So, (laughs) Oh, Go ahead. I did do the sim uh, on that advice because I bought my Vibe in the late fall and uh, was really, I guess, afraid to fly it after I'd got it together. Uh, flew it once or twice, crashed it once or twice, and I did do the sim thing for a few months. Uh, it was back in the real fight flight, uh, what, three? <laughs> days oh geez so i you know i I guess it did help me but i just i what uh kept me going was it was just i really didn't have an option because it was you know winter was happening so i just kind of stuck it out till the spring and then i went to the field and uh got hooked up with the guys down there and that's when i proceeded to to crash every day (laughs) but Hmm. Uh, you know, I just, I almost did give up. I, I remember, uh, well, shit, I was talking with Rob Boyd, uh, you know, and I was, I called him, I came home, sat, I was in the, in the driveway. I was, uh, <laughs> sitting there and a broken helicopters in the back. And I called him and said, dude, I just don't think I can, I, I don't think I can do this. I mean, literally I am crashing every day. He's like, well, you just got to make that decision if it's something you want to get through. And I did. So, um, I don't, you know, that isn't an, I, that doesn't have to be an option these days. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Uh, so you got, let's say you picked your heli. Now comes the, the task of buying that first real radio. Uh, yeah. And that one is 
quite frankly, all, every bit as intimidating, if not more, than the actual yeah, helicopter you, choice. It, it's kind of a cool advantage when you end up going with, like, let's say a Blade 360, right? Or the, the old Blade 400 or 450X, because it came, you get the the ready to fly and it came with a DX6I and you just didn't have a choice. That's just what you flew. So, you know, but if, if you're not into that situation, you do have to make a decision on, on a radio. And that's, man, I think the big thing it's most people here. Okay. Spectrum or Futaba. And then how many channels do I get? How many channels do I need? Well, I don't know. In, not many anymore. <laughs> I mean, six will fly just about anything much anymore for nitros. In most setups, you're going to need seven. But I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't. The first radio, I just don't worry about it that much. If you ask me, buy whatever people that are around you mm-hmm. can help with. And that's the right radio. You can take like a DX6i and go quite a ways with it. That's what I was going to say. It's really hard to make a decision and go, oh, I need this or I want that when you really have zero experience actually flying a helicopter. And, you know, you're just not that far into the hobby yet. So I would say get something that will work, that's affordable. And then, you know, after a year, you're going to have a lot better picture of where you kind of want to go within the hobby and what radio best suits your needs and what you want to do. Yeah. yeah. For me, the radio was actually the it was actually the easiest of all because at the time, and I don't, it's not this way anymore because there are so many expensive and less expensive, but yet very capable options. But back then it was the DX7. I mean, that was just like, Exactly, Every, Dan. I mean, I think everyone that was had my it. first radio, and that lasted me so long. There wasn't you didn't even have to put any thought into it. I mean, not only was that the one everybody was telling you to get, everybody knew how to use it, so it was very easy uh, to find resources on how to do what you needed to do mm-hmm. with it. The, these days, you know, there's so many good options out there, and some are more complicated than others. Uh, you know, I I like the Futaba. Uh, but it was not easy to learn you know actually had to read the manual (laughs) with all the time and money you put into your hobby the last thing you want to do is throw away your flight experience on bad blades from the feel of the heli in the air to its appearance on the ground which blades you choose to bolt on is one of the most important decisions you have to make That's why you need to put those old and busted blades to the side and make the switch to some new hotness. Brought to you by Burt Kammerer of BK Designs, switch rotor blades are sure to put the finishing touches on your heli. Whether you're into sport flying, hard 3D, or F3C, switch rotor blades will get the job done on everything from a 250 to an 800 class heli. And we're not just talking about main blades here, Switch has tail blades and night blades too. So stop wasting your time not flying the last brand of blades you'll ever need and make the switch today. www.switchrotorblades.com Oh, 
Oh, yeah. Well, and then, you know, when you're learning, now you've got, I mean, that kind of moves us into, like, there are all these just new terms that are, I mean. Mystical. You know, and, yes, endpoint, subtrim, throttle hold, throttle curves, pitch curves, and you've got trim knobs all over the place. How many How many of you guys have chased a, a drift? To come to find <laughs> out that you, oh, you bumped yeah, your trim knobs on that. the front. <laughs> yeah, so let's go over. Um, we'll we'll kind of bounce around. I want to take these these basic, well, I shouldn't say basic, but let's take some of these terms and see if we can quickly summarize them to best explain to a beginner. So um, let's see. I'll take the first one, endpoints. Endpoints. Uh, would be described as, you know, you have channels in the radio and that channel is basically a signal. And how far can it go out on either direction from center? So most radios are come factory set up with your endpoints at 100 and 100 and 100. Now, naming convention, Futaba to Spectrum gets tricky. Mm -hmm. One will call it, 100 to 100, one will call it 100 minus 100. You just kind of have to learn your radio, but they all basically do the same. By increasing the endpoints, that's as far as that channel can go. Back in the day, it meant that's how far that servo could go. But with Flybarless now being the most popular, that is not the case. Uh, Dan, want to tell us what subtrim is? Well, subtrim allows you to, you know, when they're, again, kind of a back in the day thing, you guys might remember, uh, guys would always, you would hear people say, did you, you know, trim your heli out? Because, you know, coming from the planker world, they trim. In other words, uh, at center, they may be off just a little bit because they're not mechanically set up perfectly. And they need to add a little bit of movement to off center uh, to get everything to fly. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you, to fly at zero, you know, nice and neutral. Well, yeah, subtrim. I never, you know, we used to have to use subtrim, I guess, a little bit. But uh, I noticed now with the newer machines, the newer flybarless controllers, that's all taken care of. So basically, in an, in the old world, <laughs> the old, the good old days, uh, if you had a slight drift, like Nick alluded to, uh, some guys instead of taking care of it mechanically would take care of that drift with a little bit of sub-trim. Mm -hmm. uh, clicking on each axis, whichever way they needed to make that happen. It's the center well, point yeah, for that channel. I mean, you're, you're ultimately, you're changing where is the center, the neutral position of that channel. Right. And like, I think you still kind of use sub-trim in a sense. Like, even going through, you know, flybar setup for the, the V-bar, for example, when you go through and kind of fine-tune to get all the servo arms at 90, because mechanically, you can only get so close with the servo arm. Based yep. on the splines, and then you go through and you put a little bit of sub trim in yeah, to but, get a yeah. ninety. That's hard programmed into the controller. Yeah, yeah, yep. just not in the radio. Not in the radio. So I actually turn all my sub trims off in my radio. Yep, completely. Yep, and that's you know that's Same kind idea, of the, though. Yeah, the best thing uh, to really try and understand that is that with most of the fly wireless systems, endpoints and sub trims. Uh, which could also be like called travel adjust 
What are some of the other names? I think that's mostly it. Endpoints and travel adjust are the same thing. Yeah. Then you have sun sub trim or maybe center points on some radio position. Yeah. But what you now all we're really doing with most of the fly barless systems, um, with the exception of the AR 7,200 B stacks, that one's still a little bit more old school, but we are matching up the radio to the software. So, you know, V bar, uh, brain, Spartan, all of these say, okay, I'm. A, they have a transmitter setup screen, and I need you, when you give full elevator, see this number on the screen, how it says 100, or let's say it says 99, I need you to go into your endpoints or your travel adjust and, and get it to where it says 100 in the software. So regardless of what it says in the radio, doesn't matter anymore. We just need it, the software to be happy. And that's really, for the most part, all that you have to mess with uh, in regards to well, those. you you there are some fly barless systems where you may need to do sub trim as well. It's all a function of the radio and how it interfaces with the fly barless system. So right. you know, Absolutely. radio sub trims. I don't want to give the impression that people don't use them anymore. I use them all the time. I sub trim out to get calibrated to the Bavarian Demon with the jetty. Because yep. the jetty center point is different than what the Bavarian Demon expects. On Futaba, That's I didn't right. need to do sub trims. I just did some programming for uh, Phil and Brett at Othello. And on both of their radios, I needed to do some sub trims. So mm-hmm. the sub trim really is just adjusting center point. Um, I, I think what what you were referring to, Dan, like when you're doing the 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 adjustments for the control surfaces on the old school planks that's actually regular trim um that that the trim knobs that you would actually see on the front of the radio whereas sub trim is typically a small i mean we're talking super tiny adjustments usually in the software cool justin can you give us a rundown of throttle hold and throttle curves oh yeah absolutely so to understand throttle hold, you got to understand throttle curves. The throttle curve in a radio is basically just a description of uh, what percentage of throttle from zero to 100 the radio is going to output um, at any given stick, physical stick position in the full throw of that gimbal. Okay, and so mode two, your throttles on the left hand side alongside with uh, collective left stick up and down. And uh, most people uh, will fly a either a linear throttle curve in normal mode and flats in uh, idle ups or some people actually do a linear for the first couple of points and a flat on normal. Uh, but um the basic idea is, and, and this is where the curve name comes in, the radio will give you between three and actually I've heard people say up to nine, but generally three to five points uh, between full low stick and uh, full high stick. And you can then go into your radio and you can move the percentage at each of those points up and down. So it doesn't have to be linear and it doesn't have to be flat. You've heard of V curves, uh, which you can do Mm -hmm. for nitros such that at 
you know, center stick or around center stick when you don't have a lot of pitch on the head. It's not very loaded. Uh, you don't want the engine to rev too high. Um, and so you do a V-curve dip in the middle and then up at the high pitch areas, you got higher throttle percentage so that you can keep that head speed. Um, that's the basic idea but behind a throttle curve is for a p the given input on the stick, what's my throttle out? Throttle hold is now just a function that effectively takes a, a an additional throttle curve and it gives you a flat throttle curve. So no matter where you are in the stick throw, you're getting the same throttle out percentage and it sets or you set as the user in the radio a percentage value that is uh, if if you've got no bailout old school all the way down at zero low stick so that your motor doesn't spool up and throttle hold. And that allows you to flip the switch and safely be able to move your throttle stick up and down and it's not going to spool up the heli on some of the newer mm -hmm. systems. The way they do throttle hold is by changing the actual uh, pulse width timing. And so you will set a throttle percentage that's somewhat above zero uh, so that uh, the ESC doesn't see full low stick. So it goes back into slow spool up. And that way you can do a quick bailout on your auto rotations. Yeah, it really just depends what how you use your throttle curves is, I mean, all dependent on the governor if it's electric or nitro and what governor you're using sometimes you're going to have lots of flat ones sometimes you're going to have some v curves it, it just completely and, and i'd say you know generally speaking nowadays a vast majority if not all of the electrics you're just going to see a flat throttle curve for idle up jesse pitch curves pitch curve so Pretty similar to throttle curves in that the percentage that you're going to set in the radio to, you know, same sort of deal. You're going to get three, five, nine points of control between all the way low stick on the collective and all the way high. And basically by adjusting that percentage in the radio, you're going to directly control what pitch is on the blades at that position um, of the stick. Now, one thing I want to point out is the maximum and minimum pitch is not necessarily controlled with the pitch curve that kind of bounces us all the way back to the channel endpoints, um, right. which can either be in the transmitter, you know, if you're fly barred or it could be in the fly barless system, which is where you're kind of sliding up and down, adjusting that maximum pitch. And then when you go into your pitch curves and adjust from there, you know, the hundred percent there means you're at full channel throw. So whatever that pitch is defined as, now, I would say most people, um, are running a linear pitch curve. So zero degrees at center stick and then full collective at high and the same degree, but negative at low stick. Now it isn't super uncommon when you're just starting out to, I think one of the tendency for beginners is you kind of get the helicopter a little bit out of control. And what's your first instinct? Slam, slam the collective stick oh, all the yeah. way down. Just bang the thing right off the bottom. Well, if you're running a linear pitch curve, your heli's going to just slam right into the ground and there goes your skids and whatever quickly. It, very quickly. And so it's, it's not uncommon at all for beginners to kind of do above middle mid stick, a linear curve, but then below mid stick, maybe you only go to like negative 30% versus 
the full linear down to negative 100%. What that's going to do is if you have your helicopter set up where it's zero degrees at mid-stick, when you go full negative and you only hit that negative 30%, let's say you're only going to go to you know negative three degrees. Um, and now you might go, okay, well, why do I even need negative pitch? Well, you definitely want to put a little bit in there because if when you're flying and you know let's say you get a gust of wind or something and you need to be able to pull the helicopter back down to come to land um you're really going to want a little bit of negative so when you're just starting out hovering flying around circuits that sort of thing you don't need a bunch um just a little bit and you know it really is just based on personal preference and what you get used to i personally i think if you can get used to not slamming the collective stick all the way down it's great to just go straight linear curve right out of the gate yeah, I agree with that one. So, we good with radios? I think we are. Kind of covered the basics? Yeah. Oh, Dan, what were you going to say? Expo a little bit. Yeah, you, you know, know what? That is a good oh. point. And tool rates? Yeah, okay. D- Dan? Dual what? Rock yeah, on, dude. what, exactly. Yeah, dual huh? <laughs> I don't think anybody uses dual rates anymore. Do you guys use dual rates? I do I not. I do not. I used to use dual rates, uh, especially when I was starting out because you could uh, essentially have two speeds on your curves. You know, you could, uh, you know, you could slow it down, make it a little more docile with some dual rates. Uh, The problem is if you start, if you start, you know, it's kind of goes along the lines that Jesse was just talking about with pitch curves and the linear versus the, you know, minus three degrees at full negative. Um, those, those can help, but they can also be kind of, they can give you kind of a crutch as well, you know? Uh, so dual rates, basically, uh, it, you know, it'll speed up, it'll speed your system up. It'll slow it down. Essentially. You can run it at a percentage of 100, you know, a certain percentage of full, of full rate. Uh, yeah. The cycle. Yeah. And so it'll speed stuff up or slow it down. Uh, Expo just kind of softer in the middle. I don't know a good way to explain it uh but essentially you yeah, can add, it's easier to draw it, it is very it is easy to draw <laughs> it takes but the linear kinda, curve can, and makes it non-linear it, it it makes it uh in the center you can either increase well and it depends on the radio it's it's sometimes it's increase or decrease you can go both directions but it changes the slope of the line so that for one point of stick input you only get a half point of movement or you get two points of movement. And so if you do half point of movement, then you have desensitized that that direction, aileron or elevator or rudder around center. Most pilots run some amount of expo. You guys remember when it used to be a... An EP contest, like a, a test of manhood. Yeah. Oh, dude, I don't. <laughs> oh, run that. I know. Actually, I, the least. Yeah, I, I run an S curve. Yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. That's where. Thank God, those days it are just, done. It just made it easier. You know, it made it more it, controllable. Yeah, yeah. It all depends on the model and the let size. Me, let me give you a, a bit of advice that you shouldn't do, because I actually did this. Because I, you know, I was starting, and there was nobody around, and I had this terrible habit and of course the first year of the hobby i had a ton of helicopters and i didn't know how to fly them hardly at all and um i had this every maiden started out with 40 percent expo wow. you want to talk about a mushy hard to control piece of helicopter yeah and uh 
I just thought my mind, I was telling myself, well, if it goes bad, it's going to go bad slower. <laughs> That's not the case. <laughs> it goes bad quicker because things just, you know, it, you're chasing you're it. Chase, yeah. You're not flying it. You're, you're chasing it. Always one step. You know, behind. Dan, that's a good point, and that brings up the comment about dual rates. Um, and maybe people have heard this before when they were beginners, but uh, you know, the the problem with dual rates is very similar, and that is a lot of times the beginner feels like they want to be limited in how much throw or how much travel they can have, because in their mind, that also means that limits how big of an error they're going to make when they move the stick in the wrong direction. The helicopter won't magically flip right. over, but it, it goes both ways. And when you get yourself into big trouble, which beginners tend to do because they overcorrect, they haven't, they haven't gotten that damping into their control system. Uh, th- if you don't have enough throw, then you're not actually able to correct quick enough, just like you said on the expo. And the dual rates will do the same thing. So you got to be careful there. That is a very good warning. Yeah, because the next thing you know, you're you're throwing your sticks so damn far, you just have a machine that just gets it's unflyable yep. at, at some point. So yeah, yep. I. I shoot for, I would say, towards the more advanced side is 10 to 15% expo, 20%. I dig 20% myself in between 15. I'm around a 15. Just and it depends, depends on your control when, surface, too. Like, I run 20 on cyclic. I run 10 on rudder, on tail. Yeah, tail to me, it's that's all just whatever personal preference. I don't think you can really do anything bad there with the tail just how it feels to so you. I wanna, before we move on i want to throw one more thing in the mix here and it's something i've never never messed with and i don't the only radio that i ever remember god if my futaba has it i just have completely ignored it but i know the dx8 has a tail pitch curve what yeah You've never seen that? No. Yeah, there's a nope. tail pitch curve in the DX8. God, don't touch it. Yeah, I never never did mess with it, but I was wondering if you guys have had any experience Wait with a minute. It. What? Yeah. A tail pitch curve. Absolutely. Which radio? DX8. Ed's did, which I'm, I'm assuming all of them did, since Ed's did. So all that is is that it takes the rudder control and puts it on a curve. Yeah. Instead of only giving you the limited access to expo and dual rates. Okay. I mean, sure, if that's what you want to do. Interesting. Going to douche up your control system, that's for sure. (laughs) Fly barless unit's going to love that. So let's talk batteries. Yes. Like I said, how do we power it? Yep, there's some voodoo there. Mm-hmm. And I think electricity is a pretty common one for people to be like, yeah. Black magic. It's like, it's like religion. It's meant to be feared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the key, you have to start with cell count. Each battery our lipo batteries that we use uh, are 3.7 volts. That's the the 
rated cell voltage on them. That's not all the way fully charged. Uh, you really don't want to go much below that, yeah. discharging it, or you will cut into the life of the battery. But they're 3.7 volts per cell, so when you see the numbers on them, uh, you know, the voltage ratings, that's what they're calculating it off of. And each cell has that amount. So three cell, hey, what do you know? Three cells of 3.7 volts. In series. In series, that's correct. So what that means is each cell is the positive one cell goes into the negative and the next one and, and so on. And so out of your battery leads, your, your main leads coming out, you get the total voltage of the pack. But then you have this other little cool connector called a balance connector. On that, you have a common ground. And then actually, if you pin out a balance connector, it's kind of cool the way it works. It adds three point once you find your common ground you it adds 3.7 volts every pin you keep counting if you keep your ground lead in the same spot it's kind of weird how it works but it's so that the charger can monitor the voltage on each individual cell when it's charging and what we call balance charging to try and get them all back into balance and keep the, keep the battery healthy There's no question that PowerLab and iCharger are the top of the food chain when it comes to chargers, and choosing which one is not an easy task. What is easy is choosing where to buy them when you're ready to pull the trigger. With their knowledgeable sales staff and industry-leading customer support, choosing Progressive RC for all your charging needs is the easiest decision you can make. www.progressiverc.com then you have uh capacity this is the this is the voodoo one justin can you tell us the difference between amp hours milliamp hours and what does that even mean (laughs) Uh, the difference between amp hours and milliamp hours there are a thousand milliamps and an amp. <laughs> Divide by a thousand. Yeah. So the capacity, a thousand. The capacity different. of a battery is measured in 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 cool. historically, it's measured in amp hours, and that's not something that's new uh, to lipos. You know, you go to uh, AutoZone and you pick up a lead acid battery. It's going to tell you it's a it's a hundred amp hours. Okay. Um. Uh. Basically, what that capacity. Uh, terminology means is uh, how many how many amps you could run for one hour to get from a hundred percent to fully discharged. In other words, the the capability of that battery to provide current per hour. Okay. Now, one one thing you used the term fully discharged. Define that. Is that zero volts or it's not safe it's a safe voltage and it's it's what nick was alluding to the the base voltage for these lipo cells is 3.7 per cell and that is what i would consider to be fully safely discharged um Mm -hmm. when they are fully charged they're up at 4.2 volts per cell okay uh so when we go from 4.2 to 3.7, the useful capacity capacity of the pack, 
um, uh, we do so at that amp hour rate per hour. So a five amp hour pack or a 5,000 milliamp hour pack, which is what you typically see in a larger six or 700 class heli would be able to produce five or provide five amps for one hour before being fully discharged. That's what the capacity means. And to, to, to convert between amps and milliamps. I mean, I was giving you a little bit of a hard time, Nick, but it is that simple. There are a thousand milliamps in an amp. And so if you need to do that conversion to do math in the hobby world, you're almost always going to see the pack specified in milliamp hours. And so if you need an amp hour, you just divide by a thousand. Five thousand is a five amp hour pack. Cool. So it's kind of like how big, how big is our bucket? Oh yeah, that's exactly and, what it is. I mean, it's it's how big is how the battery? How much energy the does it have to provide? And I see that question really, uh, really common in the in the micro world. People getting into micros. Hey, can can I put this battery in my helicopter? Hey, can I put this battery in there? Just not understanding. Mm-hmm. You can put as long as the the cell voltage is the same. The cell count, sure. It fits, put it in there. Just be aware that how much flight time you get is going to be very dependent on that capacity. exactly. But if you're looking for some longer flight time and you're just learning to hover and you have the option to get some bigger batteries, you know, absolutely go for it. Don't be, don't be afraid of, of giving that a shot, but just don't go bigger, bigger cell count. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's going to spin real fast <laughs> for a little Possibly while. Possibly let out bit. the magic smoke. It yeah. could. Yeah. Now, we've got our batteries. Okay, we understand cell count. We understand capacity. But my good God, in this hobby, connectors on the end, mm-hmm. they this, the list goes on. So, so many. Jesse, can you kind of give us a rundown of the more common ones and why you choose one in one situation over the other? Yeah, so I, well, I think for me, I would consider the more common connectors nowadays to be the bullet style uh, connectors. Now there's a couple different types. Some of them, like the E-Flight EC5, EC3 connectors are a cage style bullet. So really in that For that style bullet, your only contact surface area is kind of that top and bottom ring on the cage. The rest is just kind of an intention basically to hold the connection together. And you are getting some surface area from that um, cage part, but the majority of it seems to be at the top and bottom band on the cage. So not as much. And then the other type is a more solid bullet connector where it's actually just kind of split and then separated apart and... And you kind of compress that when you put the bullet connector together. Now, there it used to be super common, the uh, the Dean's connectors. I'm sure everyone at one point in time on this podcast used Dean, <laughs> Dean connectors mm-hmm. on their helicopters for, you know, helicopters, receiver packs, main battery, everything. They, they you know, they're just super common. And those ones were more of a, I don't know, a tab, a flat plate style connector. And so really the main thing here with connectors is how much surface area is in contact with the other, basically the, between the male and female part of the connector, how much surface area is there? 
And typically, as you go up in bullet size, you're going to go up in surface area, which is going to lower the resistance of the connector and allow you to push, you know, put, push more amps through the connector and keep the temperatures lower. So uh, at what point do we switch using a EC3 to an EC5? Um, I mean, I, so each connector does have its rated uh, ranges, which you know, off the top of my head, I'm not familiar with how high they rate the EC3 connector up to. 60-ish amps. And, and so that's the other thing I was going to point out. It's all about amperage with connectors. Amperage creates heat basically. Um, and so you really want to look at the rating on the connector and then base off of that, which I guess, which size helicopter would be suitable for. So for me personally, you know, EC3 connectors are basically limited to the warp because in that situation, you got a high voltage system on a smaller helicopter. So lower amps or receiver packs and anything else gets a bigger style bullet connector. In my case, EC5 uh, could be your, basically your choice of a larger style bullet. Yeah. Three, 360, 450 class, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And down, get all EC3s um, for me. And then if you choose EC5s, everything there on up goes EC5. Yeah. And I think once you get above the 60 or 80 amp is when you start to see a huge diversity in the type of connector that you can employ. Yep. I mean, Jesse, mm -hmm. you mentioned the bullets and there are housed bullets and unhoused bullets. And then there are, um, gender protected bullets like the EC five yep. where it's in a single housing. You can't plug them in backwards because the male has a different shape than the female, uh, on the housing yep. and on the yep. bullet. And then you can even go to, individual separate bullets where you may be able to actually plug them in the wrong way and you got to pay attention to what you're doing but for a second yeah <laughs> well yeah you can until yeah. until the bullets themselves vaporize until right disappear yeah exactly <laughs> done that one too uh and and then that offers a little bit more flexibility in terms of how you wire your helicopter and how you route the wires but w it comes with additional risk and challenges so connectors is it, i think it comes down to a very personal thing once you've tried enough of them uh you're going to settle on something that you personally like maybe it's influenced by who you fly with and what they use or your feelings on the whole thing but uh there's not a in my opinion there's not a big difference in connector capability once you get to a certain level then uh, another huge thing to point out with connectors is crimping versus soldering mm -hmm. and so you know there there's benefits i would say to each um i don't know one of the main thing that that kind of sticks out in my mind, which is really applicable to the helicopter, uh, to our, to our helicopters, just because of the vibration and throwing these things around is, you know, you with soldering, you gotta be really careful of that solder wicking up the wire and creating a, basically a hinge or a pivot point, um, for something to wear out. And with crimping, you can just maintain that flexibility, but there, there's just, there's tons of things to consider with connectors and there's lots of them to try. Yeah, yeah. The one thing, the one thing with crimping, um, 
just and this is just for memory. I can't even remember what what's the name of that one that we Anderson's power pulse. Now <laughs> to get a good amp rating on those, you have to go to a pretty monstrous connector. A ginormous connector. Yeah. So that's one thing with the crimping. But crimping does And I don't know why nice. that is. I really don't. It doesn't because that's not the that's not the case in general with crimping, right? I mean, the crimp, if it's done correctly, is is a lower resistance connection than solder. We've yeah. gone over all that before, but you're right, Dan. That is weird, and I do remember looking at the Anderson power poles, the ones that are capable of like a hundred or 150 amps, and thinking, "Holy crap, that thing is freaking massive!" Yeah, and maybe it's just the housing. Could be. Hmm. Yeah. Chargers? Yeah. So now we got to charge chargers. the batteries, right? Oh, jeez. Mm. Yeah, chargers so are many. like yeah, so many chargers. And, and it's how like radios, yeah, how big? Honestly, I I completely agree. It's very much so like radios. So, I mean, we've got wattages we've got amps we've got well it's got four ports on it so can it charge four times as fast as one that has one port on it and oh so confusing well there's a couple key things that you need to understand um one of those is first is what is the input voltage capability. That means, okay, I can hook it up to 12 volts like a car battery, right? But how high can I go? And the reason that is actually important is because a lot of time that wattage number that you see on it, ooh, it's a thousand watt charger, right? Okay, so I've got a thousand watt charger. So you're thinking, yeah, sweet. I can charge at a thousand watts. Uh-huh. But what you need to be aware of is that to get to that 1,000 watts, there is an input voltage that it needs to see first to be able to crank out 1,000 watts. So, and those are usually limited by the input current. Yep. And if we go back to our electrical basics, as we, if, you know, for this basically like the same workload, if you're going to go down in voltage you're gonna go up in amperage so that's why chargers become more powerful and i I mean that's kind of a dumb way to put it but to get the most Mm -hmm. out of them you need to get higher in the input voltage to be able to utilize everything that it says on the front of it and what it's actually capable of and once you figure that out then you can kind of go backwards and start figuring out charge times. You know, okay, how long is it going to charge? How long is it going to take to charge? And I think it's a pretty good hip shot. And I just say hip shot because there's, there's, you know, how a charger does charge when the balance portion comes in. You know, we've talked about, I did the review on the dual power lab. If you guys want to get into some real advanced charging, um, I mean, even if the dual power lab's not your thing, if you know, iCharger or whatever, 
but some of these higher end chargers, you can get in there and modify how they charge, how aggressive they are and things that they're looking for and tweak and, and really maximize your charge time and or mac- maximize the accuracy of your charge completely up to you. But if you kind of just want a hip shot, one C is about one hour. Two C is about half an hour. Three C is about 20 minutes. Yeah. And so you, know, you, you get the math is you go back to what we were talking about on the packs, right? Here's an easy way to do to use the conversion you were poking at, Nick. 5,000 milliamp hour pack, right? Well, divide it by 1,000 to get 5 amp hours and now divide it by the number of amps that you're going to charge it at. Mm-hmm. What's left is how many hours it's going to take roughly speaking. Yep. And and again, the balance plays a huge role in all of this. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, yeah, if you, you calculate out, oh, it's a <laughs> it's a 5C charge rate, it's going to take me 12 minutes to charge. Well, okay. No, not really. Uh it may take more, it may take less. It depends on the state of charge of the pack. It de- depends on how well your uh, or what health your packs are in in terms of cell balance and how well and how aggressively your charger attempts to balance them so there yeah. there's a lot of stuff that plays into that i would say personally uh because i am impatient uh figure out what you want to what what hell you're gonna file like let's say you're look you, let's target the new guys right You've got your 360, so you just invested. You got your Blade 360 or your Warp or your Chase or, you know, you, you, you pop for a Goblin or the Dominator, whatever. You've got that and you say, okay, I've got, mm, I've got three batteries for it. For me, personally, I don't even like to entertain charging under 3C. So... 3C, I think, is a great number. I, th- I think that should be your target to be able to charge at. And the reason it's, and yeah, it might put you into a little bit more of an expensive charger than you thought, but you know, you also don't want to be caught in that position where you're thinking, okay, well, no, I think this will get me fine. And then you go out, you know, maybe you go out to the field, you meet a buddy out at the field, and you're out there having a blast and now all of a sudden you got this podunk charger that yeah when you're at home just flying by yourself you go do three packs and and then you go throw them on there and do some laundry or go do chores maybe the next day maybe that's all you fly but you don't want to be caught in a position where you are losing out waiting. on flying waiting and i'll for tell you what i, I was this last weekend like, yes and this is a it'll ruin your whole mistake day. that new people make right because they they start out just like we started out. They start out with the heli and then they move on to the radio and then they move on to the batteries. And by that time, they've spent what in their minds is an obscene amount of money. And trust me, it just gets worse, guys, more obscene. And what's left? Well, oh, crap, I got to charge my packs. You know what? I feel like I can kind of skimp on that. Right. Because it's just charging packs. That's a big mistake. Because your enjoyment of the hobby is directly related to how much you get to fly. 
and it does not suck worse than sitting there with a group of friends and taking 25 or 30 minutes to charge your packs when they're banging out flights every, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. When you're learning, if you're going to, if you have a 360 class heli, you should have, in my opinion, a, a, I mean, I wouldn't go any lower than a 500 watt charger. I would. Now, I think 500 watts would be great. It'd work out just fine. Um, perfect world, get up to the 1,000 watt, but. I, I charge know. your 306B, 12 volt supply. You're ready to go, man. You can charge six cell packs at 25 amps off a car battery. That's four, yeah, or PL4 380 batteries in like 12 to 15 minutes. <laughs> That's awesome when Set. you're learning. So then, uh, Dan, you mentioned this, power supplies. Now we got all these high-powered chargers, <laughs> and we figure out that, wow, this isn't going to do shit off my car battery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a tough one because um, if you aren't real confident with electricity, you know, doing the mm-hmm. server thing versus a package to mean well or uh, I guess uh, um, FMA sells one as well, right? A, a nice yep. power supply. Well, you know, there's cons- there's things that if you're going to build one, there are things that you have to make sure you're doing right or you're going to have a tough go at it. Uh, luckily, I got guys like Nick to help me out with that. However, <laughs> I did, you know, uh, my first attempt at server power supplies was, uh, you know, and Justin, I don't know if you're planning on talking about the whole floating thing, but, uh, you know, I just did the whole removing the ground from one of the plugs and then you know, isolating the two power supplies from each other. That seemed to work all right. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's a tough pill to swallow because Justin just mentioned the obscene amount of money that you spent on your, your heli, your radio, your batteries, and your power. And now, and now you realize that you really shouldn't skimp a whole lot on your charger. But now you're looking at a $450 power supply or, uh, you know, trying to modify your own uh, server power supplies. So that's, that's tough. Yeah, it, I agree with you, Dan. And I, so I, I think it's also a personal thing. And I think you hit the nail on the head. How confident are you working with electronics? And now to be clear, we're not talking about low level signals like, you know, five volts going into a servo or eight volts or whatever. We're talking about full on, you know, Power network, 120 volts AC, kill a bitch kind of stuff. And you don't want to mess with it if you don't know what you're doing. And people have a tendency to think they know what they're doing uh, because they can't see it. And if I can't see it, it can't hurt me. Well, not true. So you just use common sense. There are a lot of guides out there. Uh, that can walk you through it. We've even got one, a tech tip that I did on our website a couple of years back that uh, people have used successfully, but it is a, you, you got to do this at your own risk. And if you don't feel comfortable, then you got to drop the money on the real power supply. 
If you do, however, you can take that $450 that you just mentioned, Dan, and turn it into $50. And for the beginner, probably an hour or so of concerted effort modifying the thing to be able to operate uh, in series to get 24 or 36 volts out. Yep. I got it. I mean, I get it. I, I completely understand walking into the hobby shop and, you know, they've got like lots of car guys. Well, I think most of the car guys are using, you know, like the, the pre-done power supplies and chargers and that sort of a deal. And, and I completely get it. Spend hundred bucks or 150 bucks. You can get a 12 volt, 20 amp or 12 volt, 30 amp power supply. They got a little voltage number on the front of it and it's cool and it'll get you through there. Absolutely. Um, but I think if you, if it's a worthwhile investment in my opinion to learn how to do the server power supplies, I think it's a tinkerish part of the hobby that I think is kind of cool that you can get a lot out of for little money, um, taking the time to learn mm -hmm. how to do it. Cause I mean, we're, we're, yeah, we're talking big power. For very, very little yeah, money. Big power, big savings. Yeah, big yeah. power, and, big you savings. You know, the last that, you know, I did, as I mentioned, I had one go out, but uh, I think I think I was running them for two years. And it, yeah. I don't remember what I paid for them, but it wasn't that a lot. It wasn't much money. And they were pre done, too. Mm -hmm. uh, there are guys out there. I don't know if there's. Is he still making those, Nick? I don't think so. Yeah, but, you know, there's plenty of guys out there that know how to do it. Uh, yeah, and we have a tech tip yeah. up for the the popular ones as of right now. It seems like every couple of years we'll stumble upon, and I guess we should actually ex explain. We shouldn't say just server. What these are, these are computer server power supplies, 12-volt power supplies that are uh, rotated out of service by... Uh, year of use or whatever. Yeah, big some of these server big server farms. farms, they just swap them out once a year so that they never have to worry about having a problem. And then they have this pile of used server power supplies. Well, man, they they last a lot longer than that, and you can get them for pennies on the dollar. Yep. So we pick up, you know, like Dan was saying, I got those ones for for us for about twenty five bucks a piece. Well, and the other thing is they're so affordable. I mean, I have two of them just sitting in my drawer in case yeah. one did Me go too, out. And Jesse. it's already soldered yeah. It's soldered up and ready to drop in. Yeah. So And they're, every couple of years we seem to find one that's more powerful and, smaller. and lighter yeah. and smaller. smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Than the, the last first one. ones that we were doing, that first generation. Oh, my gosh. Those are big. I, I still have big. a set I had of those three of I've got six volts. of I've got six of those. Dude. Three of those are in my trailer running my dual power yeah. lab right now. Like the original three, they just won't die. Something can something to consider. I mean, uh, you got to be careful with it, but uh, use the tech tip. Like Justin said, a lot of people have been using that successfully, and there's other guides out there as well. So even if, if you're not sure, though, definitely find somebody that knows what they're doing, or if you have to, just drop the cash on a, on a big one if you need to. Yeah. You know, just yep. 
because you're dealing with electricity that can really put the stink on you. <laughs> and if, you know, we should also say you can't, some of those mean well, like the 24 volt mean well ones, they are undeniably smaller than two yeah. of the server ones. So if you're trying to build like an uber small, lightweight charge case or whatever, then that would be the direction you would want to go anyway. Awesome. Well, this has been, uh, this is the first part of a two part series that we're going to do on, on this, uh, back to the basic stuff, kind of help our newer yeah. listeners and new people to the hobby. Uh, next week, we're going to go over a few other things, ESCs, motors, governors, fly barless systems, and some blades. So, mm -hmm. uh, tune in next week and you'll be able to hear about that stuff as well. I think, uh, I think it's about time to wrap it up guys. What do you think? Yeah, I think it let's is. do it. Let's do some emails. Nick, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how would I do that? You would send me an email to Nick at rchelionation.com. How about you, Jesse? You could send me an email to jesse at rchelionation.com. Justin. You could send me an email at justin at rchelionation.com. And uh, you, my name is Dan. You can reach me at dan at rchelionation.com. Dan K. Reed on the forums. I want to give a quick shout out uh, to a listener that sent an email from Australia. Jake, you know who you are. Uh, love getting emails like that. He just started listening to the show. Um, decided to not cheat himself and just kind of start. He, he just went back and started from the beginning. We love hearing stuff like that. He's, uh, he mentioned that it really helped him out a lot. He's been learning a lot. So keep flying, Jake. Glad to have you as a listener. I got a shout out too, dude. Now really? that you mention it, yeah, it, I'm not going to name everyone because there are a number of them. But, you know, last week we talked about uh, the whole Urcha thing and I booked my trip. Um, no sooner than that uh, show was published did I get multiple emails from listeners um, who were, uh, of course, bummed that uh, we as the whole RCHN crew weren't going to be there, but who were still excited to know that I was going to be there and maybe you might as well, Dan. And we're uh, honestly very kind enough to offer, uh, you know, uh, staying in their RVs or their trailers or hanging out in their camp area. I think that was that was really awesome. And uh, I'm going to definitely try to hook up with these guys and at least have a beer or two. Uh, but for uh, those uh, who sent me the emails, I have rented a hotel room. And so I'm actually going to be staying off site with a shower, with a shower and a, and a nice bed and air conditioning. <laughs> but nonetheless, you guys are awesome. Thank you very much for the offer. I will definitely try to get around to each and every one of your, uh, your camping areas and at least shake your hand and say hi. Cause that's what Justin does. He's a social, social guy. We talked about that last week too, right? Yeah. Justin? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All righty, guys. Well, uh, again, Facebook, 4,200-ish. I don't know. Somewhere in that range. Thanks for your support there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Fabulous. Man. Fabulous, Freaking right? Fantastic. Fabulous. Spectacular. Uh, check out our, uh, you know, the, the homepage if you want to talk to some other heli guys. There's always guys hanging out there. I also need to mention, too, I kind of skipped him but if you guys wanted to talk to ken uh talk to him about any of the store stuff send him an email at ken at uh citizen card registration that kind of stuff 
he'll get on that quickly. And uh, I, are the shirts and the hoodies that we have are selling pretty quick. So if you're thinking you want to get one of those before they're out, maybe go take a look and see if you got what you need there. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're, they're moving quick. So go check that out. You might find something you like. And uh, gosh darn it, I think that about wraps it up, guys. This has been episode 188. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week, guys. We'll see you next month. Have a fantastic week. Later, guys. Fabulous. Take it easy, guys. This has been a production of RC Heli Nation, LLC, and is brought to you by Soco Heli Tools, Progressive RC, Rev Electrics USA, Lower Heli, BK Servos, and Spartan Flybarless Systems. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to send us an email. I don't. Dude, it's a whatever. It's a uh, you're fucking... right. You're right. I Your agree. Your wife said that you are the biggest spider bitch ever. No, I, I was. Yeah. I think I'm the biggest. spider I didn't bitch say I was the biggest spider bitch ever. I see a spider. I, I think your wife. In the Marnie's afraid of spiders. <laughs> Dance like it's a loss. <laughs> like, the spider. I see here. a spider in the back room. Scream like a little girl on the way out and fucking throw matches. <laughs> yeah. Just burn that fucker down. <laughs> ah. Lost cause. All right, let's get this party going. <laughs> wow. <laughs>